It is good to be here. Very thankful your pastor has entrusted me to preach the gospel to you. It's a very wonderful thing to be entrusted with this. I want this to fall off. There we go. This is mine. Okay. Okay. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians. I'm not used to being up this high. Our church is one flat, real flat. So if I look look across, look like this, and I'm sorry, I got to. Galatians chapter 1, the text will be found in verse 6 through verse 9. I'm entitled this message, One Gospel. One Gospel. The Apostle Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again, as though it were not enough, he says it again. If any man preach any other gospel to you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Listen to the language, let him go to hell. Very strong language. Now, the apostle begins this epistle, not like others, with warm affection. Because he had found that these Judaizers had come in as wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Our Lord warned us of these He said, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly were ravening wolves. These came in sheep's clothing. They didn't come denying the gospel of God's free grace in Christ. They didn't come denying the offering of Jesus Christ. But he said they came to do this, to pervert the gospel. And we know that they perverted the gospel by simply adding one of the laws of Moses, circumcision. This was the contention of the time. These were wolves in sheep clothing come to pervert the gospel. And Paul said this gospel they're preaching, it's not a gospel at all. Paul is is telling us here that there is one gospel, one gospel and not another You see, by adding one of the laws of Moses, they made void the gospel of God's grace. So Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him. You see how connected the gospel, this one gospel, is to Jesus Christ. Why? He is the gospel. To move from the gospel is to move from Christ. That's why this is a vital thing. That's why the Paul did not come 
with salutations and things like that. He comes right to the point because this was a vital message necessary. They came not denying salvation but grace, but rather turned from grace to the law. And so Paul expresses his love in this by rebuking them. Friends, let us be aware that in the book of Colossians, there were many errors, weren't there? Yet you see how patient Paul was in that book. He's not so patient here. Why? Because this is an essential thing. Believers in Christ, friends, there is only one gospel. There is only one message of salvation, one message of God to sinners. met one message of hope. One message of righteousness, one message of justification, one message of sanctification. And that is the message of God's free and sovereign grace that is in Christ Jesus alone. It's only one. There's not many. This one gospel message Paul preached to them is so high and vital that to add one thing to it perverts it. Adding one thing to it perverts it and turns it from the gospel to another gospel, which is not another. To do this is to add anything to Christ's offering, is to make it null and void. And Paul concludes in this book, he said, if you be circumcised, if this is the path you desire to go, that you believe on Christ and you add to His perfect work circumcision. Paul makes this statement, Christ shall profit you nothing. You see how vital this one gospel is. Therefore we are to bind up this message and hold it close. Why? Because... The alternative is very seducing to our flesh. I went over the second chapter of this book this morning and we saw how Peter was seduced. How Peter, pushing away that pork sandwich that he was eating, and separated himself because he would not offend these Jews. With all sincerity, Peter desired to honor God, But in doing so, he nullified the gospel. Why? By adding the law, he nullified the gospel. He made it another gospel. And so I do pray that God would this evening give us, again, I'm not going to tell you anything new. You that believe, you know this gospel. And when I tell you these principles concerning the gospel, you know these to be true. But it is important for us never to deviate from these things. Because if we do deviate from the gospel, we have no gospel. If you deviate from Christ, you have no salvation. If you add anything to Christ, you have no salvation. This is the gospel that we are to magnify. It is a a gospel of grace. Now I have... uh, I did this message in two parts at our church. I'm going to do it in one. So (laughs) God, give us grace to go through this. I have nine irrefutable things concerning this gospel. Nine things that make this the gospel. 
The first thing is, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God from which we receive the Gospel. It is the source of our Gospel. This book that you have in your hands, this we know is the infallible, inerrant Word of the living God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. This is an infallible Word. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, he says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. This is the Word of the living God. And Peter says all flesh is going to perish. But there's one thing that's going to stand for eternity, and that is the Word of the living God. Everything else is going to perish. All flesh is grass. And the goodness of the, uh, like the flower of the field, the grass with the flower faded, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. Therefore we say this with David, I will esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Whatever this book says is right. I got this, I had to print it out. Luther said it and you've, you've heard it before. Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God, not else is worth believing. The Word of God is the source of all our faith and practice. I got a lot of books. I've read a lot of books. I read a lot of men that I admire and think highly of. And I go along with them so long as they go along with this book. When they deviate from this book, I leave them. Why? Because I, if they're not deriving their gospel from this book, then what good is it? If they say, I think or I feel, who cares? You don't want to hear my opinion. Concerning this gospel, you don't want to hear my opinion. I want to tell you what God said. Without thus saith the Lord, we have no gospel. We have no authority. And so the word of God, we esteem it to be all the source of our gospel. And what is the sum of God's word? It's not confusing, friends. God didn't make it confusing. Our Lord Jesus, upon His resurrection, He sat with those disciples and He said, beginning at Moses. Who wrote Genesis? Moses. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures things concerning Himself. Our brother just read of that resurrection psalm. That psalm is His. He said, he said look at my heritage. Wow, what a, what a message. That was Christ speaking. It's my heritage. It's my inheritance. Why? Because He's not going to leave me my soul in the grave. He's going to raise me from the dead and I'm going to inherit all things. That's Christ speaking. Isn't that astounding? This whole word is about Him. Men want to make this about themselves. You know my part in this book? When you read the word sinner, that's my part, that's me. But it's about Him. It's about His glory. And so all the word of God. So that's the first thing is that our source of this gospel is the word of God. The second thing is that this word teaches us something about the sovereignty of God. The gospel we preach is a gospel that declares that God is 
sovereign in everything. David said, our God is in the heavens and hath done what? What has he done? Whatsoever he pleased. You say that about any of us? Can't be said. It can only be said about him. Why? He is sovereign. He had done whatsoever. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says, who worketh all things, all things, after the counsel of his own will. We were in the car and Cheryl was reminding me of a message Don preached. And we, that phrase, all things came up. And he said, you know, the, I'm going to give you something very deep, very deep. Very great theological truth. Listen to this. All things. You know what it means? It means this. All things. <laughs> all things. He worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. God here in this chapter is making a division between Him and all false gods. You know what the division is? Sovereignty. Baal and Nebo are not sovereign. They've got to be carried around by a bunch of cows... And when they get they're too heavy that the cows will just... When they fall, there's no one to stop them from falling. They can't stop themselves from falling. Why? They're not sovereign. They got hands, they got feet, they got mouths, they can't talk, they can't touch, they can't move. They're not sovereign. You nail them down and they, they can't go anywhere. Why? They're not sovereign. But listen to what he says of himself. Remember. In verse 9, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. What? Declaring the end. When? When did God declare the end? You and I were born. We had a time we were born. Who declared that? There will be a time that God has already declared to be our death. He's declared that. And everything in between He has declared. And this has been from the beginning. He said, from the beginning. I had declared the end from the beginning. From ancient times. The things that were not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And He gives us an example calling that ravenous bird Cyrus. Do you realize He called Cyrus by name 150 years before He was born? By name. His parents had no clue what they were doing when they named him that. God says he's going to be named Cyrus. You know what? I'm going to give him everything. Everything that man touches is going to be turned to gold. And when he comes to conquer Babylon, I'm going to leave two gates open for him. And he's going to go in that way and he's going to conquer Babylon. And that's exactly what he did. What is this telling us? According to our gospel, God is sovereign in all providence. And everything He does, everything that is happening, is happening according to the will of God. That's great news for us who believe in Christ, for us who are His. That we, we, we rejoice in such things. Other men are afraid of that. They should be. But this gives us comfort. But not only this, look at that next part. Calling Ravis Bird from the East 
executing the counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I purpose it. I will also do it. Hearken unto me, you stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, and it shall not be far off. And my salvation, it shall not tarry. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. You see, he's not only sovereign in providence, he's sovereign in salvation. He said, I'm going to send my son, my righteousness, and he's not going to be far away. He's coming. And when he comes, I'm going to establish my salvation. For who? Israel. I'm going to do it in Zion. I'm going to do it for Israel. You see how sovereign that is? Our God is so sovereign that he chose his people before the foundation of the world. Our God is so sovereign that he chose them in Christ, and Christ in sovereign mercy agreed in a covenant to be their surety. Jesus Christ came into the world according to His sovereign will, which was to submit to the will of the Father. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do Thy will, O God. And He came into this world. He accomplished the salvation of His people. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's sovereignty, isn't it? Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my life. You ain't taking it from me. I'm laying it down. And I'm laying it down for a very specific group of people. My sheep. That's what I'm going to do. And listen what they're going to do. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. And I know them. And I give unto them eternal life. And no man shall ever pluck them out of my hands. That's sovereignty, isn't it? Our Lord said this about his people. He said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. You suppose one is going to be missing that? No, because he's sovereign. And is the sovereign work of the Spirit then to call everyone that the Father chose and everyone that Christ redeemed? Why? Because God said this, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. You know who he's going to have compassion on and mercy on? Whoever he will. That's it. I, don't, I know that men don't like this. But it doesn't matter because this is who God is. According to the gospel of God's word, he is absolutely sovereign. Number three is this. We preach the gospel that man is absolutely dead in trespasses and sins. Absolutely dead in trespasses and sins. The false gospel of our age believes that man has some ability left in him. This is why they talk a lot of works and doing. Because they believe that man's still capable of honoring God. That man has some ability with which either to please or manipulate God into saving him. But according to the word of God, again from the source from which we receive our gospel, God declares this about us, that we are born dead. That the natural mind, the carnal mind is enmity against God. And here's proof, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It's not only not willing to be subject, it is incapable of being subject to the law of God. 
This is the truth that man is born in total, absolute depravity. He is born dead. Our Lord said this in Mark. He said, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. If the tree is evil, the fruit's evil. Isn't that simple? You know what the problem with us? The heart's evil. What, the, what kind of fruit's going to come out? If the tree's corrupt, the fruit's corrupt. What we need is not to... to religion's like duct-taping fruit on a bad tree. They take the good fruit and they try to just wrap it on there. No, you need a new tree. You need a new heart. That's what you need. The gospel of God tells us that man is not partially dead, he's dead. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death. Isn't that sad? Isn't that horrible? It just is. Death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You know, sin didn't enter the world when Satan came in the world. You know that? Satan had sinned, but he didn't bring sin into the world. Who did? Our representative. Adam was a representative. And he represented all of us and he failed. According to the word of God, we are born dead. Death is past. Man is hopeless, incapable of saving himself, incapable of pleasing God by his deeds. Therefore, if man is to be saved, it cannot come from himself. According to our gospel, according to the gospel of God, Salvation is never by what man does for God. Salvation cannot be worked from the outside in. It must be something that God does for the sinner. Our Lord said, no man can come to me. Why do you suppose that men won't come? Salvation's free. It's the only thing really free. It is. It's the only thing that doesn't cost you anything. And yet men still will not come. Why? They can't. They can't come. Except the Father which has sent me draw him. Now the third thing, the fourth thing is this. We believe that the word of God is the source we believe that the God, according to this word, that wrote this word, is sovereign in salvation. We believe that, that man is absolutely depraved according to the word of God. And we also preach this, that God has from the beginning chosen some to salvation by Jesus Christ. We preach the doctrine of God's sovereign election. This is the gospel. The gospel. of Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to the language of the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to give you that other one in Rome in Ephesians 1 in just a second, but listen to the language, how he ex- what he expresses when he talks about election. It's always thanksgiving and praise. When he talks about election, it's, it's just always being thankful. Look what he says. 
We are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Brethren, beloved of the Lord. Now, why are we giving thanks, Paul? Why are we giving thanks? Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. I got a phone call many years ago. This man, he, he was, I want to argue about it. He said, you find one scripture that elections unto salvation, and I'll believe it. God had chosen you from the beginning to what? Unto what? Salvation. He hung up. Anyone here? Why, he's not thankful. Election to him is an evil doctrine. But I'll tell you, to one who is depraved and knew it, it's a wonderful doctrine. If God had not chosen, then there would none of us been saved. None of us. He gives thanks. Because of the depravity of man, because man by nature could not and would not come to God, God hath from the beginning to manifest His grace and mercy, chose some to salvation. The true gospel says that God chose a people. And it was the will and purpose of God to save this people. Jesus told His disciples, You have not chosen Me. I have chosen you. I have chosen you. And we know this is real clear in Romans chapter 9 concerning the two infants. Same mother, same father, same womb, born almost at the same time. And yet God made choice among them. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Why? That the gospel according to election might stand. Not of him that... We're not of works, but of him that calleth. That salvation is by mercy and not works. Therefore, what do we do? We who believe the one true gospel, we praise God for his electing grace. We thank God for it. He says in Ephesians, thanks be to, he said, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving blessing and praise and honor. Blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Here's why. According. I said, why I'm blessing the Father. According as He had chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. For this purpose that we should be holy without blame before him. Here's his motivation. In love having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. That's the means. By Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. There's that sovereignty again in it. To the praise of the glory of his grace. We who preach the gospel we cannot exclude election. Because if there were no election there would be no salvation. Election is not salvation, it's to it, but it's, it's necessary, it's vital. Without it, there is no gospel. There is no gospel without the electing grace of the Father. In fact, this is the work of the Father, isn't it? In salvation, the electing of His people. So we see that God did, by grace, choose some. 
Therefore, we rejoice to preach election. We sing this in our congregation often. Tis not that I did choose thee. For Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee had thou not chosen me. The fifth thing is this that we preach. We preach the word of God is the source. We preach that God is sovereign. We preach that man is depraved. We preach that God has chosen the people. And we preach this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a successful Savior. A successful Savior. That Christ, the Son of God, effectually redeemed His people. And the word effectual, you hear that often, but what does it mean? One preacher says it gets the job done. That's what it means. When Jesus Christ redeemed His people, He got the job done. That's what we preach concerning Jesus Christ. A false religion holds that Christ died for all men, but some... Men he died in vain for. They will end up in hell. In other words, the Christ of this generation is a failure. He wanted to do something, but he can't. Something got in the way. Man got in the way and ruined his purpose. That is not the gospel, friends. That is not the Christ of this gospel. That's another gospel. That's not another. That's a Christ who is another. That's not the God of this. Why? Because in Isaiah, he simply declares this. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged. When my servant comes, he is not going to fail. He is going to accomplish everything he purposes to do. And what was that? It was to satisfy the justice of God for His people. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. We preach the gospel. We preach Christ, the Son of God, as a successful Savior. Isaiah 53. You see verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. That's us. But here's our hope. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. It's as though the prophet Isaiah were standing there at Pilate's judgment hall. It's though he were there at Herod's. He was delivered from prison to what? Judgment. It's though he were recording what was taking place during the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's though he was recording the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was cut off from the land of the living. Why? Why was he cut off? For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death because he did no violence, neither was there any deceit found in his mouth. 
Yet I want you to know that all of this, yet it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. This was 700 years before Christ actually did this. When Christ Jesus came into this world, he did not fail to save his people. All the righteousness his people needed, he made. All the redemption his people needed, he paid. All our justification, all our sanctification, all our righteousness, all our wisdom, God made him to be everything for us. And when he came into this world, he actually accomplished all of that. We do not preach a disheartened Savior. We preach a successful Savior. Any Savior that failed is another gospel, which is not another. We preach a victorious Savior, one who did it. Go to Hebrews 10. Look at this magnificent passage of Scripture. I told, read, I quoted just a section of it. He says in verse 9, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. Verse 9, Taketh away the first, he may establish the second. God's not satisfied with those offerings. He's not satisfied with burnt offerings and sacrifices. He has no pleasure in those things. All those things were only to picture his son. They weren't ever meant to take away sin. But when he come, he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And by this, he taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. The covenant of works and law, he did away with. And he established the covenant of grace. Listen, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. How often are you sanctified? How many times? How many times have you been sanctified? Once. Sanctified by the will of God and actually through the death of Jesus Christ you were made holy. What is holiness but absence of sin? Where'd your sin go? Where'd your sin go? It's gone. He bore it away. I like that picture of the great David Tolman when that scapegoat, they confess the sin of the scapegoat. They get this big strong guy. They put that goat on, on his shoulders and he goes out there into the country and you see him go. And he's pretty big at the beginning, but as he goes, he gets smaller and smaller until what? Can't see him no more. He's gone. There's your sin. It's gone. What's left? Holiness. He made it for you. Victorious Savior. Successful Savior. We praise God for His victory. That by His offering, and look at that in verse 14, He says, For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The Son of God we preach is a successful, victorious Savior. 
Next thing is this. We preach the irresistible grace of the Holy Spirit. We preach the irresistible grace of the Holy Spirit. The false gospel says that man can resist the Spirit of God. Now there is a general call that will be and by nature is naturally resisted. The general call is always resisted, isn't it? If man's left to himself, he will never hear this. He will never want this. He will never know his need. But when God the Holy Spirit intends to save a man, that call is irresistible. It's irresistible. Why? Because salvation is not based upon the will of man. When God intends to save a man, he's going to send a man. He's going to send him with that one gospel. He's going to send him with this gospel, a gospel of victory. A gospel that declares him to be a dead dog sinner. A gospel that declares he has no hope in himself. And then he's going to point him to Christ. And if the Holy Spirit ever gets a hold of that man, he will believe on Jesus Christ. He can't do anything else. There was one lady came into our church many years ago, and I, people know this. I'd say this a lot because it's a beautiful uh, illustration of how the Spirit works upon a person. She came in, and I asked her, how did she come to know Christ? What she, she said, well, I was not believing. She said, I wouldn't believe. Matter of fact, I was adamant to not believe. Somebody gave me a message, and I started that message, and I did not believe. But somehow, during the message, I couldn't do anything else but believe. Isn't that true with you? You that believe, can you do anything else? I could ask you, do you want to do anything else? But can you? It's like Lazarus. Lazarus was dead in that tomb. And when Christ said his name, Lazarus, come forth. Do you suppose there could be any resistance? Neither it is when the Spirit of God comes to save a man. Listen, the wind bloweth where it wants to. You don't know where it's coming and where it's going, do you? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. We preach an irresistible call of the Spirit. Next, we preach this, that those who are called are free from the law. This is vitally important because that's the whole book now we're talking about Galatians. That was what the whole book's about. Those who believe in Christ, you are absolutely 100% free from the law. We just read that. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Can't establish the covenant of grace had the law not been satisfied. So Jesus Christ, when I said he's victorious, he's victorious in what? He's victorious in his obedience to the law and his sacrifice that the law demanded. He was The law is perfectly satisfied with him. And because you are in him, the law is perfectly satisfied with you. The law can demand nothing from you. Nothing. Why? You're perfect. I don't care how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what our senses tell us. 
Faith tells us differently. We are free from the law. Why? We've satisfied the law in Christ. And matter of fact, if you bring the law back into it, Christ profits you nothing. Go to Galatians, go to Galatians 3. This is exactly what the Galatian Judaizers were doing. Go to Galatians 3. Look at this. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Christ was evidently set forth crucified among you? I preached Christ to you, didn't I? I preached His victory, His success. He was crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. How would you, how the Spirit come to you? It come to you by the law. Is that how it came to you? Or by the hearing of faith? He's asking an obvious question that is only, of course, it's by the Spirit give me faith. Yes, by the grace of God, the Spirit of God gave me faith. It wasn't by the law. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, you now made perfect by the law? That not, does that not summarize every Reformed church now? Reformed theology anyway. It does. They say we're saved by grace. And then what? They say, well, we're made perfect by the law. No, you're fallen from grace. You're preaching another gospel, which is not another. Look what he says in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. As it is written, curses everyone that continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. Got that all things. Again, very deep. What does that mean? All things written in the book of the law. Sacrifices, dietary law, moral law, ceremonial law. If you take one, you have to take them all. And if you take them all, this is the pronouncement of God, cursed. That's what you get. You want the law? We are saved by grace, have no desire to be back under law. None. Because all the law can do is curse me. It can't help me. Can't save me. It's no help to Christ. None whatsoever. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. That's just evident. That's just like the way he talks. That's just evident, isn't it? Don't you get it? That's evident. For the just is not going to live by the law. How does the just live? We live by faith. We live by faith. And because of this, we are free from the law. Friends, if anybody, and I want you to know this again, the, this idea of uh, progressive sanctification is seducing to the flesh. Because we all want to measure our faith. We want a measurement. Do I really believe? And so what do we begin to do? We begin to look at what we're doing to measure ourselves you're always going to come up short. It's never going to provide comfort. What do you do? Don't look to what you do. Look what the, he did. He finished it. It's full. It's complete. It's done. There's the measurement. 100% successful. Why would I want to go back under a law that I cannot fulfill? Don't do it. 
So then we are free from the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Isn't that satisfying? And then take a deep breath. <sighs> That's good. Burden gone. <laughs> it's gone. No burden. What do you what do you have to do? Nothing. It's done. Didn't that the three words he said at the cross? What was it? It is finished. What does that mean? Well, it means it's done. What does that mean? It means it's finished. <laughs> Just keep going round and round. It's done. What else you need to do? I need to keep putting off the old man and his deeds. I need to stop trying to rely on him, period. Because that's all the flesh wants to do is rely on, mis- rely on my- myself. Uh, put him off. Put on the new man is simply to look to Christ. Free from the law. The eighth thing is this. We preach this, that every sinner that comes to Christ shall be saved. Isn't that right? This is good. I know God's got an elect people. I just don't know who they are. That's why I preach to everybody. I know this. Our preaching is 100% successful and the church is always full. You know, the church is never empty. It's always at maximum capacity. That's a good, that's a good thing, isn't it? I did, I'm not talking about your pew numbers and stuff like that. I'm talking about the real church. There's somebody out there that still must believe. Somebody God chose, somebody Christ redeemed, and yet they've not yet come in. And when their time of love comes, they're coming in. With us, with religion, it's more like a gamble. They're gambling. They're kind of rolling the dice. Maybe somebody will come. Maybe they won't. What? I know this, that if Christ wants you tonight, he'll take you. He'll use this weak, feeble preacher to preach you the gospel. He always gets his man. And I know this, whosoever believes on Jesus Christ is saved. There's no progression in this. You're saved. The moment you believe, you're saved. And every moment after, you're saved. You know why? Because the last thing I got to mention, the ninth thing is this. Everyone who is saved shall persevere to the end. Peter said we are kept by what? Power of God. (laughs) Some of y'all been here a long time. You've heard everything I said over and over and over again. Why does it still bring you joy? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that astounding? That this message still thrills you. Because you are kept by the power of God unto salvation ready to be revealed. I don't know what real, I don't know what full salvation looks like. I, I, I believe that I am fully, completely saved. I just have no real full experience of it. I've got a down payment. That's what the scripture says. I've got a down payment. I've got the spirit of God 
dwelling in me. I got a new nature, and I believe, and there's some things that I do experience, but I don't have really a clue as to what it really is. Not by experience. By faith I do, not experience. We are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed. As though he's sitting on the edge of his seat, ready to give it to you. Do you realize that God rejoices in this? That he rejoices to save you? I think in, it was in uh, Zephaniah said that he, that he, he sings. <laughs> he sings over you to give you this. Why? Because it magnifies the glory of his grace. That's why. And magnifies himself to save you. And friends, any other gospel that is preached that's not this gospel is not a gospel at all. Here's our source. What does this talk about? It talks about Christ. The God of this book is sovereign in salvation. Sovereign in providence. Any God that's not is not God. This book teaches us man is depraved. Anybody teaches anything else, run away from him. This book teaches us God's sovereign election. Anybody that won't preach election and is ashamed of it is preaching another gospel. Don't listen to him. Any other Christ than a victorious, successful Christ is not Christ. Any spirit that's trying to save you but can't is not the Holy Spirit. We believe that sinners that believe are saved, completely saved. You know the thief on the cross was just as saved as Paul? And he, only, he was only saved for about six hours. Did Paul receive anything better than this man? No. Why? Because Christ is the merit for both of them. And everyone who believes shall persevere to the end because they're kept. Now listen, anybody preach any other gospel to you than that, let them go to hell. That's how serious this is, friend. May God help us not to be seduced by these Judaizers, by these workmongers. Because I'm telling you, if Peter could, you and I can too. Don't, don't fall for it. There's only one gospel. It is a message of sovereign grace in Christ alone. Pray God bless this to you.